the spot that's never open was wide open. Yeah. So had we driven, we would have been able to park right in front of the station. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Anyway. Yes. Um, all right. So then the next, the third layer of the um, pyramid, remember these each get bigger yes. and bigger. So I'm assuming this is, you spend more and more time on these things. Yes. So you must communicate. That's important. Yeah. And the, se- the next layer is listen and learn. Right. So when someone's communicating, you have to take it in, yes. I'm assuming. You, yes. You're further ahead of me in the book, so. Well, l- l- listen and learn is, there's, uh, there's, there are many reasons. So what we tend to do in business and in, uh, well, it, again, it, it, this has huge ramifications. If you look at what small businesses do, if you look at the statistics, Labor and turnover in labor is huge. You you think it's 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 expensive? It's expensive for McDonald's to lose their nine dollar an hour guys. Mm-hmm. They still have to train those people. Mm-hmm. It, it's you know it's probably twenty five percent overhead on that uh, for every hour they spend in training and and fallout. So, but has, but I but think and and when I look at this and I think about the business stuff, the other thing that I focus on is from a sales perspective, right? Mm-hmm. The communicate stage of the pyramid is smaller than the listen stage. And I think that's a big mistake that people make in selling is that a lot of salespeople talk too much. Yes. And we used to have a a saying um, with one of my mentors, um, which is uh, pretty much shut up. Yeah. It was basically shut up. Yeah. Um, say, say half as much as your client does when you're talking to a customer and you're, you're in this process of a sale. Yeah. And so that's, you know, listening and learning and then communicate to them the information that is applicable to their situation. Right. So a lot of people are selling and they're like, oh my God, I have this phone and it's super awesome and you need it because it's a phone. And the customer's like, I, I don't, I don't actually need a phone. Um, and that, but if you listen to them, if you ask them questions and listen to them um, first, they might say, you know what, I need something that will help me, you know, place orders on the, have my sales reps be able to place orders on, in an app on the go. It's like, oh, well, this phone will be able to do that for you, right? So then the phone becomes important to them because it's, yeah. it's meeting their need because you listened. Well, anyway, p- put it in context. If I hadn't listened to. Pam earlier when she's talking about her new app she's creating and she also mentioned she doesn't have a smartphone so she suddenly I, I don't I'm not trying to sell her a phone I'm trying to say to her hey I um I you, you also want to say hey what is it you need I, I, one of my mentors who uh, Jeff Falcon at Bay Home and Window uh, who is a larger client for us he's got he's got a great uh, focus nobody wants to be sold to and you don't have to sell anybody. If I show you how awesome this is, then I don't have to sell anything. And that's, I think, the biggest part of this and how it ties into sales and marketing. If, if I exactly. Listen, if I listen to myself talk on this show, I think I sound fantastic. But what do people get out of it? And, when, then, and then ultimately... You know, what What's the I? value you're providing? Yeah. Right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what is, well how, is it, how is it valuable to me? It's not. So. Okay, the next layer down is build the relationship. Mm-hmm. And that is... And wait, I'm going to talk about the next two together because I'm confused about these two. And again, I haven't finished the book, so no. you know, whatever. By the way, 
you're going to let me know if there's a spoiler alert that you're going to reveal here online, right? Yeah, so I can no. plug my ears and go, la, 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 yeah, la, 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 Not that kind of book? Pretty, well, I haven't finished the book either. Okay. I want you to know that I'm only so, through the first quarter of the book. Yes. And I'm already sick of this asshole Lou. Yes. <laughs> like, I don't like this guy. Yes. I, I was reading it last night and I was like... I don't even want to read this anymore. I'm so sick of this guy. It's a fictional character, I, I imagine. Uh, a composite of people. It, it, yeah, it's a composite of people. So he's, they, they're using like characters in this story that's based on real events, and they created yes. this guy, Lou. Anyway. Yes. So the next two layers are build a relationship, and then the layer before, below, below that is build relationships with others who have influence. Yes. So first build relationship with others who have influence, spend more time on that than building relationships in general. So I'm confused about the difference between those two sections of the pyramid. So one, one way is, if you, if you look at it, what's the root of relationship? Connection? Relate. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's about acknowledging somebody. Mm -hmm. So part of what the book is, they call about putting people in the box. You, you suddenly it becomes, uh, go back to the example uh, of me being late today. And it's not yes. the first time. It's so that there was, there's a history here. Right. And so of course it is selfish, but I didn't think of it as selfish. I'm going, I'm going to be there. I'm helping. I'm driving. I'm paying for the tolls. I'm doing all that crap, which is okay. But your time has value even more so than any kind of monetary consideration. And, and I, if I'm thinking, well, I'm doing this great thing mm -hmm. for who? I don't know. Think about that statement. I mean, if you think about it in business. Oh, you're doing it for me. Yeah. No, I'm doing it for me. Oh, right. Well, uh, but, but, uh, so, but you're saying it's for me. You're, I'm saying it's for you. So now I've suddenly made this, you are an object for my happiness. And I don't mean this in a, in a, in a I'm not trying to make this like a uh, personal thing, but I'm talking about in a generic sense. Mm -hmm. So we put people in the box and we objectify them. And, and even people we love, like uh, the example with... You know, I'm going to teach her a lesson. I'm going to let her run out of gas with the kids. Well, what what benefit is that? Right. Have uh, my kids and my spouse stuck on the road? Right. And I either have to rescue them or they get hit or the car gets, you know, whatever. But if you start to look at what the consequence of those of proving a point or winning an argument are, in most cases, you're going to find that you don't, that they don't. They don't produce anything. I mean, to, to, to be right, to make yourself right, is not really going to... It's, it's a fleeting sense of success. So relate to others means you've, you've got to put it in perspective and relate to people that... Because they're, they're, they're equals. They're on this planet. They're employees. They're important to us. They're our customers. They're our family members. They're our... Our employees, our future employees, our future customers, mm -hmm. our future family members. Right. So, yeah. and then the second part is in terms of when you're working in art, in, into, in, do you want me to jump right in? Please. So. Well, I don't know where you're going, so it's always well, no, a, little, no, but you're saying it's a little scary. Influence. Uh, All right. So there's, so that, yes. so there are two. Yeah, yes. we can talk about them side by side because I didn't understand the difference between build a relationship and build relationships with people who have others who have influence. Right. So what it means is that. So remember, our, our, uh, um, the book called An Enemy of Peace it assumes that there's a conflict. True. And we tend to be conflict oriented. So. What happens when you have a conflict? What's the thing you want to do? 
resolve the conflict. Right. Now, we tend to want to resolve it and prove that we're right and we're better and we're all that good stuff, but it really doesn't resolve anything. So if our goal is to resolve a conflict, and, and then, or whatever it is, our goal is to, to, to show people the value of what we're producing or consulting or, you know, because this show isn't just about business. It's about organizations and uh, organizational issues and how to run them better and more efficiently. Right. So, but it's almost always people oriented. So when you're looking at that and you're trying to work through a conflict and let's say you have a, an issue with somebody, um, Let's let's use an example that actually a lot of people deal with in their small businesses, and we never really talk about it. And we should probably have a conversation about this on the air one uh, one night. And that is helping people. So we've got uh, we've got a great guy, a great gal who's a great employee, but you know they come to the company parties, they get drunk. They're inappropriate. Mm -hmm. They do stuff that makes stress on other things, like hit on, you know, get drunk and then hit on the spouses, somebody else's spouse, or cause problems. Or they're late, and, and you've got to resolve that issue. And so we were working on this, and I, ch I chose. I, I, I didn't mean to deliberately choose something so I don't know, uh, kind of dis derisive, but. Um, all right. But so so if I'm going to work on that, I'm going to get I'm going to need I'm going to you know associate, but I also need people who know and understand what's going on here. Right. And so that's it, it means bring in more people to help uh, help basically educate and relate. Yeah, and I, I think when I looked at the those two... Same, almost the same t token. I didn't mean to interrupt, but no, educate fine. and relate are kind of... All, if you're not educating and relating, you're really not doing one or the other. Right, and I think when I looked at those two sections of the of that pyramid, um, what it how it translated to business and, again, sales, and not necessarily about conflict, but just about the... I think a lot of salespeople... Um, take the path of least resistance and it's like who can who will talk to me about what I want to sell so they'll find someone that they can engage with right. which is awesome but they often engage with the wrong person so they're engaged with someone who's not the decision maker or someone who doesn't have the authority to make decisions or someone who maybe even may be involved in maybe an influencer but doesn't have all the information right. so the section of the, of the pyramid that says build relationships with others who have influence I think that's to me from the sales perspective, that's f identifying who in the organization you're selling to is involved in that sales process and what, wh who is going to actually influence it, who has information that will help you make the sale or make a better sale. And then once you identify those people, then build relationships with them and do that by educating, listening, and engaging. And so mostly listening. Let me say that first. Listen, educate, engage. Right. And engage, engage, listen, educate. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to say it a third way. <laughs> I know I'm silly. Okay. Uh, you are easily amused. Okay, at the very bottom Especially of the pyramid, can we move on to the bottom of the pyramid, or do you want to say more about relationships? Well, I, I wanted to mention something else that you said, too. Should I kick you in the shins again? Yes. Okay. Uh, you're, it's not the shins. Uh, oh, was that your knee? Sorry. Yeah, it's... Uh, yes, and I, I, 
normally you would kick me in the shins because you're so short, but and I'm so tall. But <laughs> I'm in a taller chair today. Yes, and you're kicking me in the in the knee. In the knee. So uh, I'm joking, folks. Yeah, she's, no. uh, she's actually tall, but, uh, uh, but so, so so here's what I was gonna say. Yes, it comes back to this, and we, you and I, have talked about this several times. You don't really want to sell anything. No. If you provide a benefit or something unique, something somebody wants, they'll they'll grab it. You don't have to sell anything. Right. And that's the point. And that's the point. That's what marketing is. Hey, how can you look at this differently so that I I want it? Mm-hmm. I need that. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not anything important, it just makes me feel good. Yes. That's, right. That's where you want to go. The bottom of the pyramid is get out of the box slash obtain a heart at peace. Yes. So what do they mean by that? Because I'm clearly well, not there yet. So, so, uh, there was, uh, I, you know, it, what, what I'm saying, it, what, what happens is we get into this situation and, and you think about this too. So, so a lot of the book is so brilliant in its simplicity. You, you, all these concepts you've learned before. I've yes. learned before. Oh yeah, yeah. This the, there's is high school 101 crap. No, I don't. I wouldn't say it's high school 101, but I think that there are. As I'm reading this, yes. and as we're having this conversation, and I'm yeah. learning more about what's coming in the rest of the book, and I'm happy to read the rest of the book. Yes. But, um, we're kind of giving. You're kind of giving me the cliff notes. Right. Uh, but what I'm sort of picking up is that there's uh, a lot of things in this book and in this structure this model yes. that are similar to other structures and models about human relationships and relating to people and interacting with people yeah and and they use a box and I didn't like the analogy when I first read the book but and you'll get into it because there are also there's a bunch of subtleties like we tend to be we tend to box ourselves when we're in, in conflict or stress mm-hmm. and then we tend to gravitate towards two of those corners most human beings only walk back and forth between two corners it's very mm-hmm. it's very common or you'll 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 pick up your pattern. If you start to look at that, we all behave in a certain way. And uh, I remember when I was going through some of the exercises, they were saying, uh, you know, how do you behave? Do you get insecure? Do you get withdrawn? For me, it wasn't, I never get insecure. What I do is I tend, as you well know, I tend to get more aggressive. Yes. You're uh, a, you box me in and I, I start to get. I start to puff up like a puffer fish. Right. So, but if you can't see that, then you get to it. Now, here's the other part about that too, in, in being in the box or not in the box, you have to see it. You have to see yourself in the box. So I'm, I'm no pulling way. up an image for the yeah. four boxes because I haven't read this yeah. part yet. So I need to, this is, are you talking about the four boxes? Yeah. And, and, and even okay. if you look at those images, you've got to read the book because it kind of puts it in one after another and you start to look at how it layers and how we behave, how we put ourselves mm-hmm. in our own box. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I got part it. Of it. Part of what they're saying too, here's the brilliant part. If I win and I get you to, to do what I think you should be doing anyway... How does that normally make me feel? If I bully you into something or if I yell at my kids mm-hmm. and tell them they got to do it because why? Because I ain't going to feed you if I do, if you don't really what I'm, I'm it's, it's another stressor on myself. Right. So, so I, I'm using these, um, uh, and can I can I just yeah. tell our listeners what the four boxes are? Sure. Because I think that might, and I have a little description of each of them. So I, I did do a little yeah. 
book is pre-worth. It's, it's, it's the best oh, yeah, ten no. bucks you'll ever pay. No, yeah, I you, put the link yeah. to the Amazon page. People should yeah. get it. But um, so the four boxes uh, are the box number one is better than. Yes. So it's where people get stuck where they feel like they're better than other yes. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the box number two is worse than. Yes. So it's the opposite of that. Yes. Box number three is I deserve. Yes. And box number four is must be seen as. Yes. So I must be seen as smart, intelligent, whatever. Blah, right. blah, blah. Yeah. And so when you go to like action, uh-huh. what, which box are you in? When you're like, don't, you know, when people start, whatever, when you're like, yes. I, I, uh, for, uh, for, I know exactly what it is for me. It's it. I must be seen as, so you're yelling at me for being, oh. you're being yelling at me for being late. And, I, and my and response be, is, well, I do this and I do that. I'm going, you're be, you must be seen as someone who is taking care of their client and resolving problems and yeah. doing something for you. And I'm going, mm-hmm. wait a minute. It doesn't invalidate your point. Right. So, so I, so even though you're right, and that this is the beauty of it, even though you're right, if I start to box you out, I'm not going to accept the full measure of, of the lesson that can be learned here. Right. B- being late isn't... It's, it's a stressor on me. It's not like it's uh, my mm-hmm. favorite thing to do. So l- let's so. just, I'm just going to run through the, the four boxes again and talk a little bit about each one. Uh-huh. Spend about maybe five minutes, five or 10 minutes on this. So in the better than box, um, when people are mentally in that box, they obviously, I mean, some of this is pretty self-explanatory, but right. they see themselves as superior. Right. They think they're more important. Um, they're my, my cause is more virtuous than yes. yours. Um, and they look down on other people as, as inferior or flawed, and, and that's, like you just don't understand. You've got to look. At, I'm more important. And what they're, um, mm-hmm. the point is, you've got to see yourself as that. You've got to realize you're doing that. That's why right. the boxes. You got to realize it. when you start to use terms like, well, if she only thought of it this way, right. Or when he, if he only looked at it this way, or uh, I, you know, I'm justified. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have the, I have the force of law in my hands. That's the way the law is written. I, you have to obey it. Right. You're already in that box, and you're objectifying. The other person. No, worse than is probably is is the antithesis of better yes. than, right? It's just yes. the exact opposite. But it's you know they see themselves as flawed, inferior to others. Yes. They're deficient. Yes. They're and this is the important part of this. They're fated to have a negative outcome. Yes. They think they all, it's only it's the only way it's going to work is I, everything's going to go bad. Yeah. And they people in that box view the world as difficult and hard, and other people are lucky. Not me. Yes. Other people. Yes. Okay. So the third box. Yeah. The third box. And I just want to go through a definition that we can come back and talk about it a little bit more detail. The third box is the I deserve. And so that is, you know, people, people who feel like they've been, you know, done wrong um, at, by life and that they are a victim and no one recognizes what they bring to the table and they're, you know, the, um, the, um, don't kick me in the knee. You can't, don't kick me in the knee. Don't, don't. Okay, really? You're objectifying me. You kick me in the knee. You're again? objectifying me. You kick me. In the, you don't understand. See, see, that's it. You're, you've already. You put don't me in the box. I know. You put me in the box. I know. You're me in the box. There you All go, right. folks. And the fourth box is must be seen as. So, people in this box crave attention, yes. and feel like they're being watched or judged all the time. Yes. And it's really important to them to be well thought of, and they work hard to fit in. Yes. Now, I don't know that that applies to you. So anyway, anyway. Uh, um, it, oh, it wait, 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 wait. Actually, um, and uh, it, uh, people in this box will really sort of twist things around in a situation to make themselves look good. Yes. Um, 
but I don't I so my problem is I have I have trouble um, I think box one better than and must be seen as are very close so I'm better than you but isn't that the same thing like I must be seen as better than you uh, I don't know. So, you know, we're talking about this. The example is I, I do a lot of things, uh, some, some public activities, but they're in large settings where people are interacting and you, you have this, uh, like, uh, you know, a public play space. And I have this habit of being, well, I'm the only one on the floor anybody's watching. Right. Everybody's doing their own thing. Nobody's really watching me. Oh, <laughs> you, you think everybody's always you watching you. Yeah, and, and then that takes away from, from yeah. me or makes me uncomfortable or if I screw up, I'm worried yeah. about it or I don't want to even go there because I could screw up. You, you know, dancing is a good thing for me. I learned to, to, to do the dancing. Nobody right. else, nobody cares about my dancing. No. They're all working on their own dancing. Yes. But we have a tendency to, to look at it, things like that. So it's, Right. It's, easy. it's easy when you even don't think about that to put yourself in those boxes. Right. Um, and so uh, if you f- if you find yourself in a situation and you realize or you think about it, you stop and you think, okay, wait a minute, I've got myself into a box or two parts of the question. So the first part is if I'm, if I'm finding myself in one of these boxes and I want to go through each one of them and say, okay, if you have the, if you've gone through, read the book and you are like, Oh, Holy crap in a conflict or in a difficult situation, or even in everyday life, Mm -hmm. if you feel yourself going into one of these boxes, then what is the way out of each of these boxes? Well, it's interesting and it's not comfortable. Well, is it different per box? No. Oh, okay. You, well, it's, what is it? It's, it's you're in the box or you're out of the box. And what you want to do is you don't want to put yourself in, but you also don't want to put anybody else in. And that is to always be present and engaged. It's, re- it's really that simple. I'm sorry. I was distracted by somebody walking by outside. Just kidding. Yeah. I'm distracted. I'm, I'm, I'm engaged and I forgot the other word you used. Uh, um, involved and engaged. Involved. Uh, yeah. So, okay. but if you think about it, it's just... You have to look for the triggers. We all have triggers, and there's Mm -hmm. no way to keep yourself out of the box. Mm -hmm. You always will put yourself out, but you've got to come out. So what they make a big deal is nothing gets done unless I'm engaged. So I have to... When you were in the... I'm sorry, don't interrupt you. But when you were... Let's go back to our example of earlier today when you were late and you were were angry and I was angry. Um, You were in the must be seen as. So you wanted me to see you as being a hero to your client and fixing the problem that they created for themselves. Um, I, I want more than that. I want to be the hero to you. That was ah, it. Okay. That was it, right? And I was in the I deserve box. Yes. Which is, I'm a victim. He doesn't understand. He doesn't, he's not respecting me. Right. The old Rodney Dangerfield. I don't get no respect. Right. Um, yeah. So, so that's the box. The I hard in. part is to stay engaged. If they, 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 in the, in the class, they talk about turning your, turning your chairs. You have two chairs. You can sit there and face each other in the yep. chairs, or you can turn the chairs back to back. Right. You can't engage if you're both back to back. So what they say is in order to do, I have to stay there facing you. And if you choose to turn away from me, it doesn't give, I'm never going to gain. It is uncomfortable as it's going to be. I've got to sit there and engage. Yeah. So I have to take you. I, I have to say, okay, you know what? You're right. And if you do, and if you do that or it hurt me or you want to be mad at me today, well, and I, and and I, I let I, you down. And I felt like I let you down. Yeah. You know, it was a kind of a big day. And so it was a big day. Yeah. And so it is a big day. And I it just, is not over. Um, yeah. Well, and I think that um, I actually, in the chair analogy, yeah. uh, using today's example, I did turn my back on you. 
yeah. absolutely. And I when I when when we first when I first saw you and we met at the BART station, yeah. I didn't want to engage with you yet because I need, wanted to make sure our asses were on the train that was going to get us here on time. And yeah. before that, anything before I couldn't I couldn't engage with you. For me, I couldn't right. engage with you until that was done. Right. But looking back on it now, in yeah. the with the lens of these boxes, yes, I was also in the. Um, probably in the better than like uh-huh. okay he doesn't realize we don't have time to talk about this right now we yeah. have to get on the train i'm the only one that cares about us getting here on time right. doesn't he understand that, yeah. <laughs> that you know you know somebody's got to be an adult here and blah 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 blah. that's what was going through my head now, from okay. the box perspective so, so i did turn my chair around yes uh and actually walked away from you yes because and i was just at the end of my rope i was about yeah. to freaking so throw and, things and i knew that and it was uncomfortable but if i had it turned, was uncomfortable if i had turned away Right. What if would you have said, happened? fuck you, I'm not going to get on the train. Or, yeah. I'm I would have gotten on the train alone. And then I would have gotten even, I would have been even right. angrier. And nothing, and, and my goal would not have been accomplished anyway. Right. So, Nor mine. Yes. So, so that's the, the part. You do, you're asking about mm-hmm. what you do. You, you stay there. You stay focused. This, we're engaged. Customer, client. So you did that. Employee or employer. I say here. And if you get upset. And, and turn, turn my chair around. Turn my which chair I did. I metaphorically speaking. Uncomfortably. And you did. For however long it takes for you to get help. Uh, you know, a good example. For me to get help? Yeah, for you to get. <laughs> you're going to be waiting a long time. Yes. No, but for instance. Part of this is conflict re- resolution. If, if you yes. add, let's say uh, something that came up in, they're talking about one of their, uh, you know, it was a family situation in business together. One of them had a uh, drinking problem. Well, mm-hmm. you can't, you can't, you, I can't make you not drink. And so right. we're engaged. I have to wait for you to realize you've got to fix that. Right. And then come back to the chair. And I may be sitting there for a ton of time. And never go. But if we both walk away, then we both lose. It's true. So that's I like the I chair analogy. That really yeah. helps me. Yeah, you got to stay there. It's, so the it's way to get out of these boxes is, is to back. just be present and engage. Yes. Regardless of how uncomfortable and it is. understand your triggers. You can't, you are not responsible for anybody else, but I have to see my triggers. And then I have to stop and say, well, wait a minute. My reaction is what? Justification. I'm being right. And I am... I'm, it's, 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 you know, it's, uh, we used to call it making excuses, and I think that's a little oversimplistic. I agree. Because we, you know, so, so uh, it's interesting. And uh, if you, ultimately what boils down to a sale, it's, it, no matter what kind of sale you have, whether it's online or person to person, it's one, it's, it's a one-to-one relationship. Yes. It always um, boils down to one to one. Well, and I was actually, the the second part of that, I remember this is two parts. So I was going to go through these and look at them from a business slash sales perspective. Yes. Since that's what our show is about. So when you're in the better than uh-huh. box, um, uh, well, okay, first of all, the better than box is a big trap for people who are in management. Yes, 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 yes. And a lot of people go into management who have those characteristics. Yes. And that is a recipe for disaster with your employees. Absolutely. And it is a recipe for disaster with your customers. And I know a lot of people actually, I don't know a lot of people, well, I, I've, I've been with a lot of people or, or interacted with a lot of people who, who have this mentality in business. Mm-hmm. Even though the, the old adage, right, the customer is always right. Yes. I know a lot of people who don't believe that. And in yeah. fact, are actively dismissive and look down on their customers. 
And that's always really uncomfortable for me. But those people are stuck in that better than box. And the reason why it's uncomfortable is because nobody likes anybody when they're in that box. No. If you're on the other side or you're even watching somebody treat somebody, a third person or a third party with that box driving, that's not fun. That's not fun at all. Um, And then the worst then is... Also, it's like, you know, that's the, that's people who in business are always being victimized. So, um, I used to work with a woman and her nickname in our office, um, she was very successful as a sales rep, ironically, but this was the box she was stuck, stuck in. And we used to call her Eeyore because her whole thing about a deal every time was, it's not going to close. They're not going to buy. It's never going to happen. What she learned to do was to find the areas, the points of failure and shore or the, where she thought it was going to fail and shore those up. And that made her really successful right? because she was willing to stick it out and go, okay, this is really awful. They're never going to buy from me. Okay. Why? Okay. Because of this, because budget, because decisions, whatever. She was engaged. She was engaged. She was engaged. But the whole time she would tell us it's never going to happen. Right. Don't get excited. This deal's not going to come through. Right. I'm like, really? I think this is going to happen because <laughs> you're yeah. really good and you close all these deals. Um, the I deserve box is a terrible, and and I think going back to the worse than, um, there's a lot of people, you know. So if the better than is bosses, stereotypical bosses, worse than is people who are employees who never imagine themselves being able to be in a supervisory or managerial position. Yes. And we've all met people like those in organizations where it's like, oh, I'm getting screwed again, you know. Oh, management's, you know, I I've never I'm never considered for a promotion. I you know, they always hire from without instead of looking at my, me and I'm sitting right here doing such a great job and it's like well did you ever tell anybody you wanted a different job no you just wanted to notice just figure it out yeah so um, the I deserve box uh, is um, is uh, so similar I don't I don't see the I sometimes get stuck in the difference between those two worse than and I deserve I guess I deserve is uh, they should just promote me because yeah. I've been here for 10 years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I deserve it because I've just, because they haven't promoted me before. Uh-huh. The, um, so go ahead. Well, I, I, and see, what, the interesting point in all this is what's the goal? So it's like, uh, it's, it's the anatomy of peace. They talk about these goals. It goes into negotiations. No country really wants to go to war, but they justify the reason to go to war. It's a hugely expensive undertaking. It is. And even if you want to take over your next, your, your, the next country next to you, you really don't want to do it by going to war. You just want to, you want to yeah. inherit it. Right. So well, Russia did. Russia was just like, Hey, look, we'll just take it. Yeah. Take that one. Okay. So, yeah. so. And yet we end up getting any conflicts. And that was the whole reason for them calling the anatomy of peace, because we all want to look for peace, but we all end up looking at it by saying, well, we've got to wage war. That's the justification. Mm-hmm. Because, and so if you think about it in all, in, in, in all interactions, it's, it's, it's pretty commonplace. Yeah. And from a sales perspective, the I deserve box is when a sales rep is just like, I, I, I gave them all the information they asked for. I followed up with them all the time. I should, that, should, that deal should just close. Right. I deserve it. I put in all the work. Yes. It's like, well, you missed some point. You're not listening to them. You're not engaged. Yeah. All right. And then the last one must be seen as. So that's people that feel like, um, 
But those they, are the sales they, rep that talk forever because they right. know everything. Right. Yeah. They got to be the expert, which is a bad habit of mine. Bad habit of mine too. Yes. And, but you're getting better. Because uh, I, I freely acknowledge it. You have to yeah. freely. You have to. You have to see what your triggers are. Right. Um, I. Wh- which box do you think I'm most in when I go when I go to a box? Well, and the other thing I should say about these is, in any one day, hour, <laughs> week uh-huh. interaction, you can fly through all four boxes. Oh, yeah, you always do. Not always. Sometimes I'm stuck in one box, depending on yes. the situation and who I'm talking to and what it is, personal, right. professional, whatever. Right. But you can fly through all four boxes in an, in, a, in an engagement with another person, whether it's business or personal. Mm-hmm. That's what I see. Like, you can flip to, from one to another. But what would you say is my, the box that I'm most often in? Be honest. Well, the, and the box you're coming I'm engaging. Out, yes. I think the box you're coming out of is, it's, it's never, you know, uh, what's, the, what's the box? Your? Yeah, it's never going to, hey, you know, I'm never going to. never work. Yeah, my. Uh, yep. I've been, I've, yes. been box, I've been in that box for a while. I've been in box. I've been in that box for a while. You're coming out. And I am. Think. So that's where I, I've seen you the last. Uh, and, and if you don't acknowledge, that's the other thing. You've got to see the box. Yeah. It is. You can't get out of it if you don't recognize no. it. And, and, and it's overly simplistic to think that we're only one. Yes. We tend to be more of one or the other. Correct. But we're all of it. Right. Uh, so for me, sometimes what the, the two that, that I, that I, that go together for me, sorry, I was trying to find a fancier word for that than go together, but I couldn't articulate it, um, is the worse than, so it's never, it'll never work. And the must be seen as, which is, and I don't want you to know that I'm failing. Yes. So it'll never work, but you need to, you need to like me and want me and think I'm great anyway. Yes. And those are kind of messed up when they work together. Yes. Yeah. That's a nightmare. Yes. And you're, 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 then you set yourself up for failure. Right. You know, why did they pick my product? And I think that better than, and I deserve also go together, Yes. which is I am fabulous and I deserve this because I, because of who I am. Yeah. Right. Not that I did any hard work, not that I engaged, not that I did any, whatever. Um, so, okay. And then, so, uh, so kind of to wrap up the conversation here, um, because Sean from Book House Square is here and we yes. got these coming in next, but just, uh, to wrap guests. up the, the, so the, the other thing that I saw, and I'm going to post a copy of this little article from Agilitrix. I don't know. It's like a blog posting about this and talks about the boxes uh-huh. and he makes an interesting connection. And I think what I'd like to do is I'd like to have next month. So the fourth Tuesday of May, which I don't have my calendar right now. I'll look at it before we're done here. Um, I want to look at Brene Brown and I want to look at vulnerability and shame because this blog post, the reason why this blog post jumped out at me when I was looking at stuff online today is because he linked those four boxes with her um, research and work on shame. And shame is basically the feeling that people are unworthy of love and belonging. Right. And that fits into all four boxes. Yes. It is the, it is the, the, yes. the core of, of the, of why people wind up in those boxes. Because yeah. the they think they, they're shame. I studied more Brene Brown quotes than anyone. Because in, in this class, they quote her heavily. She's amazing. Heavily. So that's the number one. And number yeah. two, the only way to get out of those boxes uh-huh. is to be vulnerable. Yes. And we are taught that vulnerability is bad and awful and to avoid it yes. at all costs. Yes. So, I'll, th- so um, anyway, so I'd ourselves. like to talk about we that. We shame yeah. ourselves. So that's, it goes back to sitting in the chair mm-hmm. and looking at somebody else's back. I do this because 
you know, I care. I, I want you to succeed. I want you to be successful. And I, you know, so you just sit there and, mm-hmm. and take it. And it's, it's, a, it's uncomfortable. And you have to acknowledge what you're doing it for or not, or you'll make yourself uncomfortable. Right. So, so we will talk, I'm going to f- um, flip here. Uh, so, mm, 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 uh, so May 24th, Tuesday, May 24th, we'll talk about Brene Brown. Okay, good. I'm excited. Yeah, good. Uh, it fits perfectly with uh, <gasps> the thing. Is she going to be in town? No. Oh, I got excited about something, but never mind. Why? I was looking at the wrong date. Never mind. Because our one listener's birthday is May 25th. And our one listener also loves Brene Brown. My friend Liz, who was yes. sending me text messages earlier. Yes. Love her. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah. So, the 24th, we'll talk about Brene Brown and her work on vulnerability and shame and how that applies to the enlightened entrepreneur. Yes. Yeah. And so, next week is sales and marketing. We're going to focus right. on sales and marketing, which I'm super excited about. I'm also going to come in with a little bit of a report and recap from the developer conference I'm at the rest of this week. Mm-hmm. And I... Uh, I think that's pretty much it. Right. You want to tell the folks how to get a hold yes. of us? So you're listening to Unleash the Rain. It's the weekly radio show here at mutinyradio.fm. And we're live from Tuesdays from 4 to 6. You can reach us here at mutinyradio.fm. At, uh, come down and see the station at 24th. Uh, I'm sorry, 21st in <laughs> Florida. Call us at 415-550-0511. Now, if you call in 10 minutes, you're going to talk to Sean and not us. So uh, go ahead and ask call him a Sean, question. Cool. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure he'll answer you. Anyway, yeah. Oh, uh, he never picks up. But 925-315-7217. You don't answer the phone? Oh, you know what I'm going to do now, Sean? I'm going to yeah. always call your show now. Yes. I'm going to always call your show. No, yeah. it's a way of saying that... Um, that I rarely get calls, so it's... Uh, oh, uh, yeah. we but, rarely uh, get calls, too. Well, uh, we we got to do this fast because uh, Sean's yeah. got to do with the new board, so we want to get out of his way. Yep. But nice. uh, Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at Unleash the Rain, or Vincent, V-I-N-C-E-N-T, at Unleash the Rain. Unleash the Rain on Facebook, Unleash the Rain at uh, on Twitter, or reach us at our, our uh, businesses at uh, Power of 3 Computing or Cheyenne Technologies. We'll see you next week. Okay, great. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. insomnia, anxiety, stress, chronic brain, depression, nausea, and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite. I'm going to guess waffles. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternative to smoking. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby! Good! Because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again! And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4altacalifornia.com. That's 4altacalifornia.com for a non-addictive, pharmaceutical-free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4altacalifornia.com. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? 
We'll gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> like the kind of person who has a sense of humor. Oh, is the radio talking to me? No, I'm on an internet podcast. I'm talking to an internet podcast? Don't be silly. It's a one-way form of communication. But I don't want you to miss out on the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2016 from March 2nd through 6th. And you don't have to. You can buy tickets now on universe.com with 24 national and international visiting comedians and 20 local hosts you won't want to miss a thing what if i can't be at every show don't worry all shows will be available for free download at mutinyradio.fm until the internet falls apart want to miss a bit of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival from March 2nd through 6th, 2016. Buy tickets now. Brought to you by Subliminal SF, PBR, The Eagle SF, Brainwash Cafe, Asiento, and the great people at Alta California Botanicals. Have you heard of Subliminal and auditory mind control. Graphic design, physical merchandise, live music promotions. Go! www.subliminalsf.com for the most amazing t-shirts you've ever seen. Graphic design for every need and live music promotion at some of the best bars in San Francisco. That's Subliminal SF, visual and auditory mind control. Go to subliminalsf.com now. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and beyond's underground comics. 
It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollected.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? <laughs> it's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Well, shit. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. <laughs> the dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment where both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds. Did you know that compact fluorescent light bulbs use 60% less energy than regular light bulbs? And that each one saves about 300 pounds of carbon dioxide a year. If all Americans switched to CFLs, we would save more than 90 billion pounds of carbon dioxide. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Muni Radio in San Francisco.
People from all over the Bay Area come to the Lindsay Wildlife Museum to experience close encounters with live wild animals. The museum's living collection features more than 50 species of non-releasable native California animals. Visitors can see and learn about wildlife such as eagles, owls, bobcats, coyotes, reptiles, and other fascinating creatures. The museum's world-renowned Wildlife Rehabilitation Hospital treats more than 5,000 wild animals each year with the goal of returning them to their native habitat. The Lindsay Wildlife Museum is in Walnut Creek. To learn more, visit wildlife-museum.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you and by your inject politics into the physician-patient relationship. I'm stunned that this POS bill would get this far, and I'm writing to call for action. If Oklahoma Governor Mary Fallon signs it, she may very well kiss her political career goodbye. She's in a bad spot. Damned if you do, and damned if you don't. Compliments of the good old boys in the good old party, that's GOP, where extremists rule the day. But then, it was her choice to remain a member of a party that votes against women. To contact Governor Fallon. Here is her office phone and fax. I am unable to find an email at this time, but uh, when and if you call, please keep in mind that although she is part of the problem, she did not create the bill, nor has she signed it yet. It is hoped she will do the right thing. And Governor Mary Fallon, if you want to send her a letter, I'll read the address, or if you're in Oklahoma, I don't, if I have any listeners out in Oklahoma City or you know folks, go give her a visit. Uh, so Oklahoma State Capitol is at 2300 North Lincoln Boulevard, room 212 in Oklahoma City. I can send her a postcard even. Uh, it's Oklahoma City, okay? 73105. Call on the phone, 405-521-2342. Again, that's 405-521-2342. Let your voice be heard. If you have a fax machine and you feel like sending a fax, why not do that? The fax number is 405-521-3353. And uh, then they have a quote from Susan B. Anthony, as there should be, I guess, in a lot of places. Uh, no self-respecting woman should wish or work for the success of a party that ignores her sex. And that's from 1872, long time ago. The debate over our right to choose what's best for our bodies and our future will most likely outlive us. But we fight because it's what our foremothers and forefathers did for us, and it's what we must do for our daughters and their daughters. It's been said in different ways that anti-choice legislation will never end abortions. They will only create unsafe abortions. Be sure we are hashtag not going back to the alley. And not going back is the only part of the hashtag to the alleys after that. Here are 13 large and small reproductive rights organizations and social media groups to visit slash support. They can offer information and or discussion about women's rights and laws against women. Uh, Planned Parenthood, Narrow, which I hugely support. I also support Planned Parenthood, but Narrow more so. Uh, Pro-Choice America. Now, National Organization for Women, uh, NAF, which is the National Abortion Federation, RH Reality, UniteWomen.org, Abortion.com, that's glad that exists, uh, Fight Laws Against Women, We Are 
Fuse, and that's F-U-S-E. Abigail Adams Brigade, pro-choice liberals, stop patriarchy now, and Center for Reproductive Rights, also those last two, yes. Uh, the Guttmacher Institute is an excellent source of women's reproductive data and current legislation. Many thanks to Meteor Blades for reporting this news and for his continued pro-choice advocacy for women's reproductive rights. You can read the story here, and they have a link to that. And so we march on, and we are hashtag not going back. And you can find all the links to all these organizations on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash weeklyrev. I think it's time for some more music. There's another song that was performed, and it's kind of angry, but also has a nice uh, beat to it. So play this music, and then we'll be back with some more stories, some positive and some... Mm, uh, we'll, 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 we'll find ways to, to make it positive. Yeah, my name is John Neffel, and I am an independent journalist based in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I'm the, I'm the co-host of a daily podcast called Radio Dispatch, and I've got a new story in the Village Voice. Awesome. So... Uh, uh, for folks who haven't read the the story yet, um, perhaps we can uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so it's a, a feature-length profile of two leftist activists uh, from New York, and uh, I followed them for several months as they prepared to smuggle themselves into northern Syria to join a Kurdish militia that's known as the YPG, which stands for the People's Protection Unit. Very cool. Wow. So how did you um, first get involved with them? Yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, the story really begins back in late 2011. Uh, I was covering an action um, put on by Occupy Wall Street yes. uh, in December of uh, 2011. And uh, I was arrested, um, even though I was a journalist, not an activist, I was arrested uh, with 16 other people. And one of them was uh, a, young, uh, a young activist named Guy Stewart. Um, and he and I ended up spending uh, 37 hours in jail together uh, as a result of the arrest. So, you know, we had a lot of time to talk. Yeah. And uh, we basically stayed in touch uh, over the years since then, and um, in January of this year, he sent me a, a Facebook message and said, I'm doing something that you might be interested in. So uh, basically from then on, he and I were in almost constant contact. Awesome. Very cool. Um, great. So, yeah, so I guess we can uh, talk more. I mean, we can maybe go back a little bit to Occupy. I remember because I left New York uh, in 2011 in the summertime, shortly before that happened. I remember following it, and I was in St. Louis in the fall. So I was uh, remember when that was happening there. And I do remember following online and seeing even the, the photo of you with holding your glasses. Yeah, yeah, that one, uh, that one was uh, shared pretty widely online, and it was it was strange to find myself being the subject of uh, of a what just is objectively a kind of iconic looking photograph. It was a very strange phenomenon. Yes. 
Yeah, and something similar um, here in San Francisco, there's been, there was a lot of pressure to have the police chief fired, and thankfully he has resigned. Um, and a, f a few months ago, folks took to City Hall, and of course the police ended up harassing and uh, assaulting quite a few people, um, including journalists. So I think for, for some folks who were not quite, uh, were a bit surprised that that would happen, but that seems to been have happening for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think that that at the at the local level, at the level of, of mayors and police chiefs, um, there's been a, a serious lack of attention paid to First Amendment protections for for press, for activists, um, for assembly rights. Um, and yeah, I mean, I really think that that one of the lesser told stories over the last I don't know five, six, seven years is uh, is like a real just complete lack of respect for uh, freedom of the press by yes. by mayors and police chiefs really across the country yeah yeah absolutely uh, have you um, encountered any more like violence um, in in your fields uh, since the occupy movement uh, well I was arrested a second time um, also as a journalist uh, on the one-year anniversary of occupy uh, but since then, there was there was a, a year where I had an official NYPD um, press credential, which I resisted getting for a long time because I don't think that the police of any city should be the people conferring the status of journalist or not journalist. Yeah, yeah. It's like you know, it's, it seems to me a little bit like the um, the fox watching the hen house, as they say. Um, but after the second arrest, I kind of was just like, this is, I can't keep doing my job. Uh, I keep getting kidnapped by the state. Yeah. So, so uh, I applied for uh, credentials and then they expired. And honestly, since then, I've, I've been doing less reporting on sort of demonstrations and marches and more um, stuff around uh, Guantanamo and, and refugees and things like that. So I haven't personally seen a lot of that, though I know obviously, it, like in, in Ferguson, for instance, yeah. um, a close friend of mine um, got shot by the police with rubber bullets as he was approaching them with his hands up. Uh. And he's a, he's a white guy, so you know that they were trigger happy if they were doing that, and he was saying press. Yes. So, yeah. you know, that's just like one one of many, many examples of, uh, of, of recent uh, literal attacks on, on press. Oh. 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 So um so speaking of uh, I guess Guantanamo, what's happening there, if anything at all? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. So I was actually just there um to get a media tour um uh, earlier this month, just about a week and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And uh they call it a media tour. In reality it's about a one day um highly choreographed um you know, very tightly controlled walkthrough of some of the facilities, um, and everyone really stays on their talking points. It's it's a it's a, a, a kind of media tour in name only. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, nonetheless, it was interesting. It was my fifth time there, um, but my first time taking a tour of the, the facilities. And really, I think the big the the big story with Guantanamo is that we can expect 
um, a, a, probably two dozen transfers, give or take, in the next month and a half. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and then after that, my strong suspicion is that transfers are going to almost totally flatline. And I think that by the end of Obama's term, there's going to be somewhere between 30 and 40 people who are still going to be held at Guantanamo. Oh, and there's really... Um, I think very little reason to think that they will either be transferred to the U.S. Um, for for continued imprisonment or whether any of those people will be detained. And I think that basically um, Obama is going to pass on a very, very small uh, population of detainees to mm. the next administration. Oh. I, I mean, I'm not surprised. It just still feels disheartening to, to hear that. Um, it's also... Yeah. Good just to get some information from like from from the inside or from as close as possible. Yeah, well, one of the things that was that was really um, troubling about about the media visit is that um, various officials, basically the top commander uh, on the on the base, and then the the person who's below him, who's essentially the prison warden, um, both said that for right now there's. And this is according to them, so take it with a grain of salt. But yeah. they said that there's a great amount of um, optimism amongst the population of detainees or prisoners, if you like, um, yeah. because there have been so many, uh, relatively speaking, a lot of transfers lately. And so um, I think that there is, at least according to them, there's there's optimism that people you know think they're going to get out. Many of them have been held for. 12, 13, 14 years at this point um, without charge. And where the troubling part comes in is what I was saying before, is that even when you talk to commanders and, and um, the, you know, the warden on, on the base, they say that, that once those transfers happen and then everything starts to slow down, you're going to very understandably get a population there that is very, very angry yeah. and in increasingly desperate and increasingly hopeless, especially given the fact that um, obviously Donald Trump is not saying he wants to close Guantanamo, quite the opposite. <sighs> and Hillary Clinton is, has been very, very quiet on the topic. Of course. Um, to be honest, I would not at all be surprised if she becomes president. I could see her at some point, given... You know, given some sort of national emergency, I could see her increasing the population. There. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think that there's going to be a lot of of real uh, despair among people who are there if and when they're there by the time Obama leaves office. Uh, oh, that. Uh, that's. Uh. Yeah. I mean, that's my reaction to a lot of things. Uh, so yeah. it's that's, just... that's, that's the reaction I get when I talk to a lot of people about a lot of my stories. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think, like, hopeless definitely is something that comes up when one thinks about all, like, a lot of different things that have been happening in the country and in, in the world for a long time. And I feel like there's a lot of folks who do want to help and do recognize that the system is messed up and things are really backwards. And then it's very easy to feel powerless. Um, which is, I think, part of the reason like journalism is so important and so necessary is to at least let folks understand what's happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's right. I think that that um, getting information out there is necessary uh, for social good, even if it's not in itself sufficient. You know, I I sort of think of uh, journalists 
uh, at least the kind of journalists that I that I uh, like and aspire to be. I think of them as part of a kind of complex ecosystem where you have journalists and you have lawyers and you have human rights investigators and you have activists and you have just a sort of uh, people who are all basically working towards greater levels of human rights and human dignity, but all doing it in kind of separate but related ways. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, that journalism is, you know, at its best at least, is one key part of that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I mean, one one highlight, I guess, of the internet age is that folks feel like they're able to at least um, put out their, their words, like, for instance, on social media, like with the elections being rigged and folks reporting that their votes haven't been counted, uh, something even, even like that, people feeling like they have a voice and they're able to share what's happening with them, where, as a, you know, opposed to, like, decades ago, that might not have been the case. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, for as, for as toxic as the Internet can be in so many instances, there's, yes. there's also, you know, there, is, there are the occasional moments, um, sometimes more than occasional moments, where there really is, uh, you, you know, you can tell that the, the publishing paradigm has shifted such that, that you know, traditional gatekeepers uh, to, to media platforms don't play exactly the same outsized role that they used to. Uh, obviously, who gets to go on TV is still very, very important and very closed off to the vast majority of, of people. Yeah. Um, but at the very least, you know, you have platforms where people can put out uh, information and, and at least get it out to the world in a way that, you know, even like 10 years ago would have been very, very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's a good thing for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so maybe we can uh, just talk more about the so the story that you'd written for the for the Village Voice. Um, so for folks who are heading, uh, getting back that way. So like for folks who are heading to Syria in order to help fight uh, for the people. Um, yeah. Well- so, so what's really interesting about about the two the two people that I profiled um, is is that uh, they they are entering probably the most complicated conflict in the world right now, and to understand what they're doing, it's it's probably worth just um, I'll, I'll try to lay out some of the the regional some of the the regional um, political dynamics cool. just so people have a, a sort of sense of who the who the actors here are in this because it's it's very difficult to keep all of it straight. So basically, the 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 group that these two are going to support, um, sort of roughly speaking, is called the YPG, as I said, and it's a, a Kurdish militia that uh, arose in. Um, really came to prominence in, in 2012, 2011-2012, uh, out of the chaos of the civil war in Syria. And the Kurds are, for people who aren't familiar, are at least, as they refer to themselves, as the largest um, ethnicity on the planet without a state. Mm. So you basically have about 30 million Kurds, wow. roughly. The estimates aren't exactly correct, or aren't exactly precise, but roughly 30 mm. million Kurds spread out over four countries. Um, you have Syria, Iraq, uh, Iran, and then the majority uh, of whom who are in Turkey, especially Southeast Turkey. And so 
as the uh, as the Arab Spring uh, or Arab revolutions sweep the the region from from Tunisia to Egypt and um, and uh, young activists, especially in, in Syria, are inspired and take to the streets to protest against the government uh, that's run by uh, the dictator Bashar al-Assad. Uh, the, the revolution there um, quickly uh, descends into chaos as Assad, you know, opens fire on his own people. And essentially what begins to happen is that out of the chaos that ensues as the revolution becomes militarized, um, Kurds in the north are able to establish an autonomous zone for themselves, which mm-hmm. they have long been denied by the Syrian regime. Mm-hmm. And so... As as the regime focuses more on anti-government rebels, it sort of uh, takes a lot of its troops away from the Kurds in the north, and basically just says, "Okay, the the, the Kurds can have this area in the north. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to focus on on uh, uh, the enemies who are trying to oust us." And so okay. this area this area in the north is called Rojava, which is the Kurdish word for west. So this is West Kurdistan. Um, if you think of the those four countries that I named before, this is this is a sort of Western version of where a hypothetical Kurdish state would be. Okay. So the the revolution in Rojava is very much um, built on a foundation of uh, anarchist thinking. Ah. Um, the the ideological head essentially of the political party there. Um, has been in prison um, since 1999, but his political theories, the guy's name is uh, Abdullah Oshawan, his political theories are um, based very heavily on a theorist named Murray Bookchin, and essentially what it says is that um, it's it's anti-capitalist, it's very um, pro-feminist, and uh, it's based on a kind of uh, post-state idea of, of local organizing uh, and that that uh, it's, it's, it's about keeping power localized yeah. in neighborhoods and not centralized yeah. in, a, in a state. Awesome. And so it's, it's, you can tell why, it, why this revolution would be a, a sort of natural ideological um, fit for anarchists the world over, including in America. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is that there have already been roughly between 100 and 150 Americans who have joined, who have gone to either Syria or Iraq to um, to fight against ISIS and to join the Kurds. What's interesting about um, every American who has gone so far at least every reported American who's gone so far, mm-hmm. is that they're much more likely to be conservative. They're much more likely to be um, military veterans. Uh, they're much more likely to be motivated by Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so you have this group of primarily ex-military um, conservatives who go over and join this anarchist militia huh. and and they get there these Americans get there and they're completely surprised they have yeah. no idea what they're doing they you know there's a quote where one of them um, says the YPG are a bunch of commies and he says it's in a very disparaging way right? uh-huh. so so you have this kind of um, strange situation where Americans um, 
wants to get back to the battle, so to speak. Uh, they want to fight ISIS, but the available options to them, in Syria at least, is this left-wing feminist group. <laughs> um, and it largely doesn't fit with, with most of the Americans' political ideology there. What's different about, about the two um, uh, young, young activists that I talked to, Guy and the other one, his name is Christo, mm -hmm. is that the ideology was the draw for them. Yes. You know, they they specifically wanted to go to help their anarchist comrades. Yeah. And that really sets them apart from the other Americans. Now, there have been a small number of uh, European anarchists who have gone, um, but large, large it, for really for the most part, the numbers have remained fairly low in terms of, of leftists going to, uh, to join up. Mm -hmm. And it's also important to note that, that uh, Guy and Christo... Um, both did not plan on actually becoming soldiers. Mm -hmm. So they were both um, going to going there to create pro-Kurdish media, what they sort of referred oh. to in a, in a tongue-in-cheek way as propaganda. I see. So, so they were interested in like documenting daily life, showing the struggles mm -hmm. of the revolution, the successes of the revolution. Neither of them were going there to quote-unquote fight ISIS. Got it. I think also, also separates them from the other Americans who were very explicitly going there to, um, you know, to, to try to shoot ISIS militants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it'll be interesting. I'm very curious to to hear and to see what it's like for those for the folks who went in with just that kind of strict military ideology um, to see if they end up maybe accepting or seeing the the bright side um, of the leftist ideology. Yeah, it's it's a really really interesting question, um, and I think that one of the things that Westerners. Um, have to do when they when they cross the border from you, basically the border from Turkey is closed now, so everyone who's crossing over is crossing from Iraq to Syria. But when they cross over, they have to spend the first um, at least two weeks in what the Kurds refer to as uh, ideological training. Huh. So you learn essentially the the basics of the system of belief that that they call democratic confederalism, and it's it's. Again, it's very feminist. It's very communalist. Um, uh, it's it's private property is very limited. You know, meals are done together, living is done together, um, and so I'm not exactly sure how many sort of like ideological converts there have been. Yeah. Um, but it's a really interesting question uh, as as far as like. Uh, whether whether people who have gone there have sort of um, you know maybe came from a more conservative capitalist mindset and that were uh, were, were won over once they uh, you know were sort of in in the revolution. I'm not sure what the answer is to that. Yeah, yeah, I'd be very I'd be very curious. And I'd also just wonder how other folks could help contribute, like certainly not necessarily in a military sense, but like as you're mentioning, Guy and Hristo were more on the media side, how other folks could also join to um, help the cause. Yeah, I mean, one of the things certainly that, that I think um, you hear from, from groups that are um, sort of like outward facing, uh, especially to the West, is that uh, after this many years of war and, and previous decades, really of basically abandonment from the, the Assad regime, uh, a lot of the area, um, 
you know, still needs to have infrastructure built up. Um, there are areas where uh, industry is, is, you know, um, could be built up. Uh, obviously, you need doctors and engineers and all things like all sorts of things like that in a in a revolution. But I think even more so than anything else, at least the people that I spoke to wanted wanted information to to get out as much as anything else. And they, you know, Kurds Kurds have been um, have been oppressed uh, and and um, and rendered stateless for at least since the since the first world war. Mm. Um, and I think that, in a large part, what they're fighting for is visibility and autonomy. And you know, it's not—it's not entirely clear what what Westerners can sort of do to, to promote that exactly. But I think that part of it, at least, is is raising um, raising the profile of the project that they uh, that they are engaged in. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm really curious to to see what happens. Yeah. Well, and so um, you know, to give the sort of uh, to give a spoiler for the for the story. Yeah. Um, essentially, one of the uh, one of the two that I uh, profile, um, they both they both travel to northern Iraq um, to Iraqi Kurdistan, uh, a city called Sulaymaniyah, and um, there they they uh, get in touch with their contact who's in Syria. But um, they are uh, unable to cross the border for weeks, and so they stay at this hotel with other Westerners who are trying to cross over, and then they are taken to the safe house temporarily. And uh, their visa is starting to run out. And one of the things that's really important to understand about both of these two is that although they are um, both very ideologically motivated, they're also motivated by more practical concerns namely that Guy uh, has wanted to be a conflict photojournalist for his entire life, mm-hmm. and that Christo wants to build his resume um, to make it more uh, attractive to graduate schools. And so while they're in Sulaymaniyah in northern Iraq, um, Christo gets uh, the worst fever of his life that puts him down for five days. And then shortly after that, as he's uh, regaining his health, he learns from his parents that he's been accepted into grad school. Ah. And so, so this happens as their visa is running out, and uh, and as four Westerners who try to cross over get arrested uh, at the border. And so, from so Christo is thinking to himself, you know, if I defer. My acceptance. There's no guarantee that I'll ever make it to Rojava. I could lose my spot in grad school. This makes no sense. So he returns home, and uh, he feels very uh, conflicted about it, very dispirited. You know, he's been planning this for a year, and he feels like it's a, a year of planning down the drain. And a couple of days later, right before the visa comes up, a uh, guy is able to cross over. And he goes through training, and um, I've spoken to him a couple times uh, in the last few days, and he is still um, happy that he's there. Uh, he's, uh, you know, engaged. He's just about to launch the photo blog, um, which is called Scenes from Rojava. And, um, you know, I think that it's, it's certainly not a walk in the park, but I think that he is, uh, he's still happy that he, uh, that he went, and he'll probably be there for for several more months at least. Wow, 
that's great. That's really wow. Huh. So, um, so yeah, hopefully we can uh, still keep in touch and hear about their what's what's happening over there. And I'm curious as to as they do work on the media, um, the information that will be made available to us. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how uh, his time there changes Guy in terms of uh, his outlook, um, you know, his experience there. Uh, obviously, he right now is not uh, involved in any uh, direct combat. He's not. He's he's not really at any, at least for now, um, threat of bodily harm. Yeah. Uh, you know, hopefully that remains the case. Obviously, for as long as he's there, but um, it, it remains a, a conflict zone. Obviously, it's a, a civil war that's displaced 12 million people, yeah. uh, 8 million internally, and 4 million who have fled the country. And so, um, you know, over the course of his time there, I think it's going to be really interesting to see uh, the effect that it has on him politically and personally. And that's something that I'm definitely going to going to follow up on, and I'd love to uh, come back on and talk more about. Yeah, please do. I think it's also just really inspiring. Like when I saw the the article, I was just like, oh, like first of all, the words anarcho-communist, like that's always nice to see. Um, And then also just because I I know there's so many people who have a similar ideology. And then especially here in the States, when there's been the suppression that's happened for so long um, to see folks enacting it and to, to collaborate there's that I guess that hope which maybe I'm I'm a cynic but I'm also really hopeful and optimistic and naive in some ways um where I'd be like wow how about that happening here and granted like the the United States has a whole other we have a whole other history a whole other things I can't even really describe it you know succinctly but to, to have that kind of happen here would be incredible yeah, well, and I think at least to, to me, what was what was really interesting about this, especially from a from a journalist uh, point of view, is that um, there are the the left in the United States, uh, and and if you sort of broaden out, you know, vaguely liberals more more generally, I think that um, that we can often get uh, stuck in a lot of tired conversations. Oh yeah. Like we've been having them for decades, even before any of us were born. Yep. And and what's what's interesting to me about this story is that it's a way of talking about uh, about enacting leftist ideas uh, in a way that is that is completely different than a lot of the standard discussions that we have here. And I'm I'm certainly not endorsing. Uh, that anyone else do what Guy and Christo did, um, certainly not without weighing the cons of it very, very uh, carefully. Sure. Because although what they did is is not illegal under U.S. law, you know, uh, what I write in the story is that a creative prosecutor could probably find a charge if they wanted to. Uh. So I, I, I certainly wouldn't, um, and, and I'm not endorsing, you know, the fact, like, the idea that people... Uh, follow in the footsteps of these two, but um, I felt very lucky that I was able to shadow them yeah. while they were getting ready to do this because it was a way to talk about these ideas in a way that went beyond the sort of, you know, like 
is property destruction violence, which is an important conversation, but one that I just feel like exhausted by most of the time. Yes. Yeah, I hear that. I feel there's so much uh, infighting within communities that it's like, if we're going to fight amongst ourselves, how are we supposed to come together? Like, if we can't even all, you know, find consensus. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, um, yeah, if there's anything else you'd like to add, please feel free. Uh, I guess just if, uh, if anyone wants uh, to hear any more about this, um, we spent uh, a recent uh, show talking about it on my podcast, uh, which is called Radio Dispatch. And um, we talk regularly about uh, about my Guantanamo reporting and also about Molly's reporting. My sister and co-host yeah. uh, Molly uh, often writes on uh, education policy and um, and feminism and uh, all sorts of things that, uh, that your listeners, I think, would be interested in. And, uh, you know, if people want more information, they should come... Uh, come jump over uh, and take a listen to Radio Dispatch every once in a while. Excellent. Cool. We'll, we'll um, post links uh, on the on our weekly review page. Awesome. Sweet. Well, thank you so much for calling in. It's also really good to hear your voice. It's been a while. Yeah, you too. I know. It's been way too long. Sweet. Well, um, take care and keep up the good work and hope to chat with you soon and give, give Molly my regards. I will. You keep up the good work too. Oh, thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye. The 2016 primary season is exposing a crisis of democracy in America, the prevalence of voter suppression from voters forced to stand in line for five hours in Arizona to over 100,000 voters purged from the rolls in New York is inexcusable. Meanwhile, in North Carolina, a federal judge has upheld new voting restrictions, including a voter ID law that will disproportionately block poor and minority voters from the polls. It's no secret that reducing voter turnout benefits the political establishment. It's time to bring real democracy to America by eliminating unfair barriers to voting and ensuring every vote counts. Join my call to establish a constitutional right to vote today. It may surprise you that the U.S. Constitution does not explicitly guarantee our right to vote. That's why establishing an explicit constitutional right to vote is critical to overcoming voter suppression. Across the country, we see people who do everything they're supposed to, yet their votes are not counted due to the negligence of election officials. All too often, these disenfranchised voters are disappeared from official election results with no legal recourse. An explicit constitutional right to vote would empower Americans to challenge systemic voter suppression and restore the integrity of our elections. If you're concerned about the wave of voter suppression, add your voice to the call to establish a constitutional right to vote. Voter suppression issues in state after state are symptomatic of an electoral system designed to prop up the establishment political parties. We see the same pattern everywhere that partisan appointees control the electoral process, the establishment gains power and the voters lose power. It's time to take control of elections away from the parties and put them in the hands of the people through independent citizen boards in charge of everything from voter registration to redistricting. 
it's also past time to discard the obsolete uh, first past the post voting system and adopt improved voting systems already used successfully around the world. The current voting system has most voters feeling trapped between two parties that are growing more and more out of touch with the American people. With polls showing record unpopularity, <laughs> uh, with polls showing record unpopularity for the Democratic and Republican frontrunners, we're facing the repugnant prospect of a general election where more votes are voting against what they fear than are voting for what they believe in. We can solve the lesser evil dilemma in a heartbeat by anarchy. No, I shouldn't say that. We can solve the lesser evil dilemma in a heartbeat by enacting ranked choice voting, which ensures that if your first choice doesn't win, your vote is automatically reassigned to your second choice, freeing voters to support the candidates they most agree with. And to bring real democracy to the United States, we need proportional representation, which gives you the freedom to vote for the representation you want, knowing that it's what you'll get. Countries with proportional representation, which includes most Western democracies, have significantly higher voter turnout because people are more likely to participate in democracy when they know their voice will be represented even when they're in the minority. All of these reforms, proportional representation, ranked choice voting, independent election boards, and more, would move America closer to real democracy and help break the grip of the elite special interests who have hijacked our government. But it all starts with fighting back against voter suppression, and the best way to do that is with an explicit constitutional right to vote. Sign and share my call for a constitutional right to vote today. By standing together in our fundamental right to vote, we can build an unstoppable movement for an America and a world that works for all of us. It's in our hands! Jill Stein. Uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, if you go to, I haven't posted this yet. I'm going to post it right now. Um, you can sign. I signed. Uh, that's one, one way to help. I, I'm definitely skeptical. I'm not going to lie. I'm skeptical of the whole voting thing, even if, I mean, even the fact that, like, Jill is on the ballot, the idea that folks on the third party don't have as much uh, say in the media. Even Bernie Sanders, who's, like, running in on the Democratic Party. Oh, that's another story we'll get to. So I'm not a member of any of the Bernie groups. A lot of my friends are. I like up my Facebook feed for the most part. It's like, Bernie, 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 Bernie. So some Hillary, there's definitely some Hillary supporters there. There's some Jill Stein supporters. And then there's like anarchists who are like, fuck the whole system. And I'm like, cool. Um, but there are Bernie Sanders groups that Facebook decided to like, uh, cancel or just like get rid of and apparently it's from the Hillary like pack like hired people to spam these groups with pornography and friends of mine have reported this so this comes like first-hand information first-hand second-hand information but people I know and trust have said that they received like people were spamming these groups with porn and so then people would report them to the Facebook uh, and so Facebook had to take down these groups. And so like hundreds of thousands of organizers and Bernie supporters were then had their, uh, their communication restricted on Facebook. And that's pretty gross. That's really, really gross. Um, so with that being said, I'll, I'll add the Jill Stein thing in a bit when I can multitask. I can multitask, but I feel if I add it right now, I'm not going to be giving the, the show my full attention. So you can also just check out, uh, you can, where can you check it out? Uh, you can go to, 
What's the official the official place to find Jill Stein? I would guess Green Party. I guess you type in Jill Stein um, till 2016. Um, yes, Jill2016.com. There we go. Problem solved. Jill2016.com. Uh, Jill Stein for president. Uh, a new society. A new economy. Hashtag. It's in our hands. And uh, she also is inviting Sanders to cooperate on political revolution and real democracy, which is pretty badass. A lot of the times, the, the folks are running against each other, and there's a lot of like people are attacking one another. And it's like, if everyone really wanted a better world, it'd be like, let's all learn how to work together and you know share our resources. And instead, it's a lot of people just fighting with one another, and that's gross and childlike and dumb and very regressive and reductive. And ugh, it's like, I don't want any of that. So I, it would be great if, if Bernie were to hop on board with Jill Stein and if they could collaborate and share their resources and share their followers because they stand for a lot of the same things. Um, so I'll read a little bit from her page, since I'm at her page. Why not? Americans deserve real solutions for the economic, social, and environmental crises we face. But the broken political system is only making things worse. It's time to build a people's movement to end unemployment and poverty, avert climate catastrophe, build a sustainable, just economy, and recognize the dignity and human rights of every person. The power to create this new world is not in our hopes. It's not in our dreams. It's in our hands. Um, support Jill Stein's People Powered Campaign. You can donate if you, if you want to, <laughs> if you're able to. Join with thousands of your neighbors to build the momentum for real change. Support Jill Stein's People Powered Campaign today. Anything you give will be matched dollar for dollar by federal matching funds. Let's read about why she's running, uh, why Jill is running for president with the Green Party. Oh, it's pretty much what I just read. Uh, we are being battered by unemployment and inequality. Da -da 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 -da. Yep, that's exactly it. So that's that's her platform, and uh, hard to find fault in that. And I can find fault in a lot of things. <laughs> I'm a bit of a cynic. I'm an optimist and a cynic. So that's great. So Target, I'm not into businesses, big corporations at all. However, when they stand up for good things, I, I think that's great. I'm not encouraging anyone to go to Target or to give them any more money. However, they have said that they are going to make sure that all trans folks have access to bathrooms, which would be a common sense thing. However, since they've said this, um, people are like gonna boycott Target now, and it's, ugh, it's so d people are so dumb, 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 dumb. Um, so this is from All Out, which is an LGBTQ uh, organization. And I'll read a little bit about this. It's just dumb stuff. Yeah, I, don't, I almost don't want to give them any airtime because I don't even want to talk about them. Um, but I appreciate it when businesses, even though I don't like big businesses, I don't like big corporations when they do the right thing, which is common sense. So I'm not even gonna read it. So you know that's. Uh, and I would imagine most listeners of the show um, are not uh, going to go out and be overtly transphobic and in the face, you know, be like, that, that would not make sense to me. Although, stranger things have happened, but uh, there we go. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, okay, first of all, there's two things to know about this. Uh, I'm on, okay, back in the day, back in the early 2000s, I've repressed a lot of this from the years 2000 to 2008. It might have been because there were some people in the White House and people pulling the strings in the White House that made things terrible, so part of me wants to forget that existed, and I remember I wrote a letter to him, the Ding Dong W, that was like, don't, this is before they went to war, and there was like a lot of folks who were like, don't go to war, don't go to war, don't go to war, and I got a letter back 
that was like, oh, we have to protect the Iraqi people. And I was like, shut the fuck up. Anyway, so the World Can't Wait was one of these organ political organizations that was like very much against all that stuff happening. And I guess I haven't changed my name because the, the email is addressed to my old name and my old email address, which I still get. Uh, so that's disturbing in some regards. Um, but then they're saying that Bernie Sanders told MSNBC's Chris Hayes that he supports Obama sending 250 more troops into Syria. Um, do you think what's being done now is constitutional and legal, Hayes asked Sanders, noting the existence of a list of people that the U.S. government wants to kill? In general, I do. Yes, Sanders replied. In three months, both the ruling class parties will convene to pick the next commander-in-chief. They're making preparations to sell wars of aggression, continued vast surveillance of whole populations, the whole catastrophe of empire. These unjust, immoral, illegitimate wars need to be opposed, especially when the eyes of the world are concentrated on these conventions. If you want to be involved in protests at the Republican convention in Cleveland, July 15th through the 18th, or the Democrats convention in Philadelphia, July 25th to 28th, contact us. And they have a way you can contact them. Again, this is from uh, the world can't wait! Exclamation point. Stop the crimes of your government. Uh, hidden costs of the U.S. air war in Syria. There are near total silence. There is near total silence when U.S. bombs kill civilians in Iraq or Syria. Uh, Nicholas J. S. Davies, author of *Blood on Our Hands: The American Invasion and Destruction of Iraq*, writes on the outrage continuing in Syria as the U.S. increases troops there. At the very least, U.S. airstrikes have killed hundreds of civilians in Mosul, as well as destroying much of the civilian infrastructure that people depend on for their lives in already dire conditions. And yet. This is, by all accounts, the only only the beginning of the U.S.-Iraqi campaign to retake Mosul. USA Today reported on April 19th that U.S. air forces bombing Syria and Iraq have been operating under new, looser rules of engagement since last fall. The war commander, Lieutenant General Sean McFarland, now orders airstrikes that are expected to kill up to 10 civilians without prior approval from the U.S. Central Command, and U.S. officials made it clear to USA Today that U.S. airstrikes are killing more civilians as a result of the new rules. Under these new rules of engagement, the U.S. has constructed, has conducted a major escalation of its bombing campaign against Mosul, an Iraqi city of about 1.5 million people, which has been occupied by Islamic State since 2014. Reports of hundreds of civilians uh, killed in U.S. airstrikes reveal some of the human costs of the U.S. air war and the new rules of engagement. Oof. Okay. Next. Washington civilian kill list in Afghanistan. Drone whistleblowers step out of the shadows. In Washington's drone wars, collateral damage comes home. And this is also from World Can't Wait. Uh, uh, Pratap uh, Chatterjee writes about recent films on the U.S. drone war, including National Bird. Sometimes I'm so sad that my heart wants to explode, an Afghan man says, speaking directly into the camera. When your body is intact, your mind is different. You are content. But the moment you are wounded, your soul gets damaged. When your leg is torn off and your gait slows, it also burdens your spirit. The speaker is an unarmed victim of a February 2010 drone strike in Uruzgan, Afghanistan, but he could just as easily be an Iraqi, a Pakistani, a Somali, or a Yemeni. He appears in National Bird, a haunting new documentary film by Sonia Kennebec about the unexpected and largely unrecorded devastation Washington's drone wars leave in their wake. In it, the audience hears directly from both drone personnel and their victims. National Bird features whistleblowers who have not been public before. 
war. When the president and its key officials look at the drone program, they undoubtedly don't see women and children. Instead, they are caught up in a Hollywood-style vision of imminent danger from terrorists and the kind of salvation that a missile launched from thousands of miles away provides. It is undoubtedly thanks to just it is undoubtedly thanks to just this thought process already deeply embedded in the American way of war, not that a single candidate for president in 2016 has rejected the drone program. That is exactly what whistleblowers feel needs to change. I just want people to know that not everybody is a freaking terrorist and we need to just get that out of the mind. We, we need to just get out of that mindset. And we just need to see these people as people, families, communities, brothers, mothers, and sisters, because that's who they are, says Lisa, a former army nurse. Imagine that this was happening to us. Imagine if our children were walking outside of the door and it was a sunny day and they were afraid because they didn't know if today was the day that something would fall out of the sky and kill someone close to them. How would we feel? And they also have uh, one more. Who is still held at Guantanamo? Because that's still happening. <sighs> Again, not sarcastic, but just angry. Uh, because people wrote to ask who is still in Guantanamo, we are sharing Andy Worthington's list of, up of the 80 prisoners still held, almost all of them without charges. Fuck. And you can check this out at closeguantanamo.org. Um, this is from uh, Deborah Sweet, who is the director of World Can't Wait. Man, oh, so that's really, I think there's a lot of folks who thought, oh, Obama's in office and now everything's going to change. And granted, there are things that were in the works before he took office. Um, however, there's a lot of us who are very much like, oh, as long as the system is still in place, a lot of these things are going to continue. And he'd said he was going to close Guantanamo and that hasn't happened. And now there's 80 people who are still there. And imagine if that was someone that you knew and someone that you loved and imagine if that was you even to be imprisoned without having any any say in in your your life and that goes back to the beginning of the program with talking about folks even sent to jail for for growing marijuana growing a beautiful plant that's medicine and uh the idea that folks can be sent to prison and kept there is just really gross and uh it would be nice if we lived in a world where that wasn't the case and we lived in the country i'd love to live in a country where like that wasn't there wasn't weren't jails anywhere um but there are new kids, new babies being born all the time in this country, and they're being born into a country and into a world where prisons are still a thing and people are kept unjustly. And if we don't speak up about it, then we're part of the problem. I really do feel that way. So I'm going to... It's good to also read about the Middle East. We're running low on time. We'll get to Guantanamo, and we'll, we'll see what much we can fit in. Um, so the, if you go to the closeguantanamo.org page, uh, you can write, read more information. 779 prisoners have been held by the U.S. military at Guantanamo since the prison opened on January 11, 2002. Of those, 689 have been released or transferred. One was transferred to the U.S. to be tried, and nine have died, the most recent being Adnan Latif in September 2012. 80 men are still held, and 26 of these men have been recommended for release by high-level governmental review processes. To join the campaign for the prisoners' closure in 2016, see the countdown to close Guantanamo and the photos of celebrities and members of the public from around the world. 157 of the 779 prisoners have been released under President Obama, and although no prisoners were released for 15 months from January 2011, two Uyghur, um, Uyghur uh, prisoners, Muslims from China's Xing 
Xinjiang uh, province were released in April 2012. Another man, Ibrahim Al-Kosi, was given a two-year sentence after a plea deal in January in July 2010, was released in July 2012, and in September 2012, Omar Khadr, a former child prisoner, was transferred to Canada to serve the rest of his sentence. He negotiated as part of a plea deal in October 2010. Ugh. And so if you go to the list, you can uh, see there's just more and more people. Um, that is extremely depressing and upsetting, and it's, it's still happening. And pretending it's not happening isn't going to change anything. So if you go to Close Guantanamo, if you care about this and want to take action or at least spread the word, um, go to closeguantanamo.org. <sighs> this is the world that we live in, so we have to change it. We have to, we have to, we have to. I'll do a show plug. <sighs> That's not a great transition at all, but uh, or I should say and. Yes, and. Um, so tomorrow, there's going to be a show at the up in Fairfield that I will be uh, taking part in. And, oh, there's another thing. I'm, okay, I'll get to that afterwards, after this, this great show plug. And this is going to be happening. Um, oh, there's so many great things I was going to share. Oh, I'll get to it. I'm just finding all the information for the show tomorrow. <coughs> Excuse me. So a lot of folks will be performing. And, um, yeah, we're getting there. Did I post it? I thought I did. This is at the Solano um, Pride Center, and the show is happening tomorrow night, I believe at 7 p.m. A lot of folks are performing. Uh, Samson McCormick, Jesus You Better Work, Ash Fisher, uh, Jess Morgan, and myself, oh, here we go, are performing. This is at 7 p.m., and it's at the Solano Pride Center. You can check it out at solanopride.org, and the address is 1234 Empire Street in Fairfield, California. Fairfield, known for the Jelly Belly factory, which I am boycotting and have been boycotting for a while because the CEO said something transphobic or did something that was bad, and I'm like, no thanks. I can do without your jelly beans. Thank you very much. That's what I think about when I think about Fairfield. However, I'll be going to Fairfield tomorrow, so check out the show if you're up there, or if you feel like catching uh, a good, good comedy show. I need to write some comedy. A lot of stuff I write is very political and sometimes not that funny, so I'm going to look for the humor in the tragedy, and we all know there's a lot of tragedy out there, so I'll look for the, the positives in that. So yeah, and the show is tomorrow at 7 p.m. at uh, Solano Pride uh, Center, and that's, again, at 1234 Empire Street in Fairfield. Now getting to the few things. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot. There's always a lot to share. Um, Amy Goodman uh, was talking about good things, as always, and I was going to share... Um, uh, she was just talking about the lack of representation in the media and how even Bernie, who, you know, even if we're not 100% behind him, like, don't agree with 100% of what he says, even he's not getting the uh, equal attention, media attention that Trump and Hillary are getting, and that's super problematic. So let's listen to what Amy, let's listen to what Amy has to say, and then here we go. Whether it's Fox or MSNBC or CNN, you often can't tell the difference. You're flipping from one channel to another, and they're all Trump all the time. It's Trumpland. It's called 
This is called How the Media is Ruining the Election. This I election. see the media as a huge kitchen table that stretches across the globe, that we all sit around and debate and discuss the most important issues of the day, war and peace, life and death, and anything less than that is a disservice to a democratic society. It is critical in an election year to hear how policies affect people on the ground, not to get the pundits, but to get the people themselves. They're bringing you the pundits, and this is true on all the networks, the pundits, who know so little about so much, explaining the world to us and getting it so wrong. The media manufactures consent for war, for candidates in elections, by bringing you more, for example, of one person, like Donald Trump. He is pumped into everyone's home. He can just stay in a gold-gilded mansion in New York or one of them in Florida. The rest of the candidates trudge from one state to another. Why does he get this unfiltered uh, pipeline into everyone's brain, into your eyes, into your consciousness. It matters. The Tyndall Center did a report in 2015. They looked at the whole year. They found Donald Trump got 23 times the coverage of, say, Bernie Sanders. They found ABC World News Tonight did something like 81 minutes on Donald Trump, and I think they gave Bernie Sanders 20 seconds. Bernie Sanders is breaking every record. It's the only reason he's getting any coverage right now. I mean, the media, he is shaming the media. In March, he raised something like $44 million. Hillary Clinton raised 29 and change million dollars. $44 million, that hasn't been done before. You break every record and there's a blip in the corporate media radar screen. It just shows how astounding it would be if he got anything near the coverage of the other candidates. Could you imagine where he would be right now? In this high-tech digital age, with high-definition television, digital radio, all we get is static. That veil of distortion and lies and misrepresentations and half-truths that obscure reality. When what we need the media to give us is the dictionary definition of static, criticism, opposition, unwanted interference. We need a media that covers power, not covers for power. We need a media that is the fourth estate, not for the state. And we need a media that covers the movements that create static and make history. And on that note, we're going to end up the show. There's another article that folks can check out. Maybe I'll get to it, maybe. Um, next week, it's, it's long and I want to give it its due attention. And this also comes from The Intercept. And it's uh, Why a British Fight Over Israel and Anti-Semitism Matters to the Rest of Us. And that's written by Robert Mackey. And it came out today. So I definitely want to get to that. Because uh, there has been a lot of conflation. A lot of people who assume that because one is anti-Zionist, that means they are anti-Semitic. And that is not the case. And folks can very much be anti state and not be anti-Semitic. So that's a discussion that really needs to happen. So I want to read that story next week. Um, stay tuned. Next will be Global Val with Women's Magazine.
Magazine and uh, Mutiny Radio um, raising funds check out on the weekly review page we have a there's a fundraiser listed there as well as mutinyradio.fm ways you can contribute we also have spaces available space available for rentals if you want to do a show here there's shows here every night of the week um, every day of the week uh, morning afternoon evening late night uh, there's a lot of good stuff happening so come by in person and say hello we're at 2781 21st street and give us a call anytime 415-550-0511 and live streaming at mutinyradio.fm so on that note I hope everyone has a pretty great weekend and speak up against injustice um, as often as you can and perhaps that will make a difference and I'll leave some folks with uh, some prints again and this is a really beautiful cover that usually I, I like covers but I'm also like eh. um, this is uh, from PS22 um, the chorus kids from PS22 and uh, it's kids kids are our future so they say so here's some really nice kids singing a nice cover of a Prince song uh, have a great week everyone and we'll be back next week expensive alternative to smoking. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby! Good! Because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again! And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4altacalifornia.com That's 4altacalifornia.com for a non-addictive pharmaceutical free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4altacalifornia.com are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutinyradio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutinyradio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
ACLU of California reminds us that we have the right to speak out. Both the California Constitution and the First Amendment to the United States Constitution protect our rights to free expression. There are many questions we face when we decide to organize and speak out. Do we need a permit? Are there limitations? Or when or when can we not demonstrate? What about civil disobedience? For all of this information, please check out ACLUNC.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Insomnia, anxiety, stress, chronic brain, depression, nausea, and can induce euphoria and stimulate appetite. I'm going to guess waffles. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> Actually, Alex, the food I'm talking about are cannabis-based medicinal extracts. Cannabis-based medicinal extracts? That sounds like you're smoking drugs, Ed. No, baby. There are smokeless, safe, and less expensive alternative to smoking. But can I use it to sleep? Yes, baby! Good, because I'm so excited by this that I may never sleep again! And it sounds like you, Alex, may want to check out the number 4altacalifornia.com. That's 4altacalifornia.com for a non-addictive, pharmaceutical, free alternative to smoking medical marijuana. Check them out today at number 4altacalifornia.com. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer ya. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> like the kind of person who has a sense of humor. Uh, is the radio talking to me? No, I'm on an internet podcast. I'm talking to an internet podcast? Don't be silly. It's a one-way form of communication. But I don't want you to miss out on the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival 2016 from March 2nd through 6th. And you don't have to. You can buy tickets now on universe.com. With 24 national and international visiting comedians and 20 local hosts, you won't want to miss a thing. What if I can't be at every show? Don't worry. All shows will be available for free download at Mutiny Radio. 